This is Jonas. Welcome to another episode of the Bonsai Wire podcast. In this episode, I speak with Martin Walters of New Zealand. Martin has some great insights about the New Zealand bonsai community as he's been growing bonsai there a long time. And I found it particularly interesting here what it's been like to come up with material in a community where there aren't as many bonsai growers. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Martin Walters. <laughs> and on that note, welcome to another episode of the Bonsai yeah, Wire yeah, podcast. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Well, introduce yourself. How did you get started with bonsai? I lived in London for a while and uh, I, I had some trees there. Uh, huh. So I probably had about 10 trees there, but they were they were on my next door neighbor's roof because we lived in a sort of flat. So I sort of got semi-started there. Um, and then about 18 years ago, we moved we moved to New, to New Zealand. And um, yeah, after the first year here, I had a garden. And so I wanted to really get into it then. And that, that was when things started to take off. Um, but approaching it, I, I had that Karate Kid vibe. I'm the perfect age for when that came out. And I remember seeing it and thinking, that's really cool. Um, it didn't really kickstart me, but I've always had an interest in Japanese culture, the samurais, the movies, just that that whole aspect was with me. Um, I did martial arts for quite a few years and just because I loved the being that sort of teaching environment and what you were learning but I always kind of got hurt so I kind of um I was just getting beat up so um I kept up the bonsai because it was the same sort of aspect for me but it was more safer for me (laughs) so it's just stuck and years have gone past and it's just always been there um I was lucky enough uh, after coming back to New Zealand to um, study under one of the original bonsai teachers mm. in New Zealand that was from the 60s. So I sort of got the basics down pretty quick um, and then started to travel overseas and invite people to study. So I sort of um, sort of got really into it maybe 15 years ago. Um, but I have a mentor. Um, uh, I have Tony Bebb, who's based in Australia, and his and his father Lindsay Bebb. So um, Tony's kind of like my mentor, and he sort of comes to New Zealand maybe two or three times a year, and oh, I'll, cool. always have, I'll, I'll always have time with him. So I become good friends there. Um, but I've got my little bonsai network that I sort of communicate with the. the People that you that you admire, I've invited over to New Zealand, and they've been to shows and things. So I've got this sort of group now. Um, so I'm always trying to learn. Um, so yeah, that's been yeah. I'm always it's been about 18, 19 years. Well, that's one I, thing that I always find so interesting is when a lot of people start bonsai, but it's only occasionally that people think, you know what, we need more of a community and they immediately start going about building that community. And in New Zealand, I imagine that's a far more bootstrapping affair than it would be in other places. So what do you think led to that transition for you of doing it yourself to, Hey, let's get more of a community doing this over here. Um, I, so in, so in the early days, um, I helped out on a workshop and a whole lot of new people came in and it was a totally beginner's workshop and I was just helping the teacher 
and the excitement that they had after you'd styled a tree and I was thinking yeah I, I still have that now so passing that on became a thing and so um I started to get involved in the other clubs so I'm a member of two or three clubs and that type of thing and always going around the country to help out and do things that that aspect never left and also if you're showing people how to do things and you're wiring their trees and you're helping them style it will raise your game as well and so I look at it as not only helping other people get started but it helps me as well and then I started to make friends mm -hmm. and then you turn around and uh, you can walk into any club in any part of the country and you already know half the people there and they're all <laughs> really nice and you just build from that. Um, but the last uh, the last five years in New Zealand, it's just, it's just boomed. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not too sure where that's come from, but if you go back um, even 10 years, I would hold a... I would hold a workshop and I'd advertise that I'm having a workshop and you only want 10 to 15 people to come. And it was always a battle to find eight or nine. Now mm -hmm. the workshops are sold out in like an hour and I can wow. do two or three of them. Yeah. It's that there just seems to be this um, buzz for it here, um, which is really good because all those new people that are starting out, they just boost the whole scene here. And mm -hmm. that means we can do more. Um, and so with that boost and with that structure being set, we can now invite more international people here where we don't have nice. to rely on Australia for them to come all the way here and only get two or three days work and have to tag on two weeks in Australia just to make the whole trip worth their while. Now we can host them and they can travel up and down the country and there'll be people at the workshops on every stop. And that's what, that's what I've been driving for. Um, and so now that's in place, we've got a few things lined up. So, for instance, uh, uh, January, February next year, we've got Jim Doyle coming over. Oh, cool. Um, he's been here before. Um, I'm trying to get him. We've got Murrow Stenberger is in May or June next year. So we've got some, we've got some cool people coming. And um, I want to keep that rolling. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I just want, um, I've noticed here that when you have an international demonstrator come over, um, it just really gets us, really gets us fired up and it just gives us another aspect and um, to have them work on your trees as well and have them leave the work that they've done so you can refer to it over time when they've gone. Um, so there is a selfish aspect to it, but it really, um yeah, it really gets us going. And I think a lot of people now that have started, they're on YouTube and they're on the internet and they get to know who the other people are. So when you announce that you've got someone coming, there's not a whole lot of new people going, we don't know who this is. Now uh, they know. And it's right. like, oh, well, you've got that happening. And they all just go for it. So we're at a good point. It's a really positive energy that's happening at the moment for us. And I just want to keep it going. So well, I'm kind just of cool. a couple of cups of coffee, so so I am rambling about. <laughs> but I like that it's instead of having to try all these different things to get people interested or to get them together. It sounds like the groundswell of interest is just in the air for whatever reason, and you're doing yeah. whatever you can to 
facilitate and give a home for or give a connection point for people to join into that excitement exactly. and yeah. that's where your yeah. international uh visitors comes in it's where yeah. your uh workshops come in it's anything that oh y'all are excited about this let's find a way to get us all together and learning exactly. so then yeah. as long as we're learning we can start making the material that we wish for yes. that we yeah. have more of around here yeah and then the trees get better and then they get seen overseas that we're actually a country that's got its own thing happening. Um, so I'm hoping that's where we're going to be. It kind of happened in Australia a few years back, and I thought we were catching up to them. But um, yeah, we're, we, we've got this Australia, New Zealand, I don't know if you know, but we're kind of on the sporting field. We're kind of friends, but we're kind of always want to beat them. So I want to beat them. <laughs> I think everyone knows that about New Zealand. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought, okay. <laughs> so it's not the... No, and you can refer to the All Blacks if you want. Like, that's totally fine. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, well, we just played <laughs> them last week and we annihilated them. So that's what... I don't want to bring that element into Bonsai, but I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, New Zealand's never been shy from competition, especially with your northern neighbor there. So Yeah, we were very... Totally we fair. Were, we're a small country, but we like to kick above our weight a little bit. And, um, and you, you come from a history of that. It's just part yeah. of the culture, I think. Yeah, I think. And yeah. Uh, so I mean, I've heard arguments really, about who makes better coffee between the two of you. So Yeah. Well, when you come over here, I'll make you a killer cup of coffee, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, that sounds really great. So wh what has it been like having outsiders come and work on species they've never even seen before? Um, I think, uh, I think the techniques are kind of similar. Uh -huh. Um, and I think they might ask a few questions about here, how this goes and how this goes and what would happen if I cut this here and you tell them, you kind of tell them how the tree would react and then they're away. Mm -hmm. Um, but normally um, normally after they've done a few workshops they normally head off and see some of the countryside and see how and I think when they come back they were always like okay we understand it a little bit more uh -huh. um, most most of our trees we have uh, grow on the coastlines and so they overhang cliffs and there's 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 lots of big old gnarly trees that hang from the cliffs so the oh, whole cool. root system, uh, is very strong because they're not hanging on too much. So we use those trees quite a lot. But what the beauty is of having an international demonstrator come here is they'll add a Japanese element to a New Zealand-style tree. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I want to portray in some of my trees because it's a... New Zealand tree and you're representing a New Zealand scene but the way I trim my trees and the way I prune them is a bonsai aesthetic so you're trying to balance that that because you don't want to go too far either way and so that's one aspect I, I sort of emphasize when the international people are here that if you go too much into that pad structure, when you mm -hmm. see these trees in the wild, they're not like that. Um, so you kind of you kind of balance that out a little bit. Um, there's one tree that's sitting behind me where you know, I don't know if you can see. You probably can't yeah. see it, but um, this year uh, I think I've got the balance right. 
And mm. so you'll have a New Zealand, like when a, when a brand new person to bonsai looks at this tree, they'll see a, a New Zealand beach scene where the tree's growing off a rock, um, but it's got a Japanese style canopy and it's like two or three pads, but it still fits in with the New Zealand scene. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where I want to take my New Zealand natives. Um, yeah, just because you want to do bonsai work on them, but you don't want to push them too far. So you kind of got to match them in the in the wild. Um, so that's when the question was, sorry, I've gone off the question. Well, you're putting your finger right on what's, for me, is one of the more interesting aspects of bonsai is it's the relationship of people with trees. If we were only representing in miniature what we see in nature, we would be decorating model railroads landscapes yeah. if we were yeah. just doing abstract art with trees yeah. we'd be doing topiary and yeah. bonsai is this funny thing where yeah. you represent the concept of a tree using a tree as your material yes. and and yes. then the question is what are we choosing as our models and so when you talk yeah. about the elements of japanese design is that the japanese human side is that the japanese species side is it some funny yeah. combination um yeah. just looking at how the japanese forms have been inspired by those trees in their landscapes yes. and then you start seeing internationally how yeah. elements of that have entered into our own relationships with our natives yep. um that exactly what you were describing is kind of one of the interesting things for me is where and how do we draw those lines? What do we choose for our models? And do you think that comes with time of doing the bonsai work? Because a lot of the people here in the sort of under 10 year experience will get the New Zealand native trees and style them like what they've seen. And I think if you can learn that, but then break it, break the rules later on, does that make sense to sort of bring it back around? Right. So, it can go, it can start in either place and travel toward the other yeah, at any point in time. Yeah. One of the, one of the best comments I had was um, I had a tree in a show and the general public walked through the show and there was a family and I was standing next to my tree, just doing some minor oh. work. And the little boy said to his, um, said to his dad, Oh, that's just like the tree that we've got at our holiday house which is it and i was like that's it that's all i want if a <laughs> child sees that that was the best comment i've ever like, you won tree yeah. takes them somewhere that they recognize in nature that was it for me i just had a i just had a smile and that's that was, awesome that's better than yeah. a blue ribbon i didn't get a blue ribbon for that tree but <laughs> that's beside the point <laughs> but yeah that uh so if if even though that tree did lean towards a heavy styling it was still seen as a new zealand native and that that was where i wanted it to head yeah it's 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 i think that tension really informs the work that everyone's doing and i think it actually even though we're all consciously thinking about it whether we're brand new at bonsai or whether we've been doing it for 10 20 30 years I think it takes different forms based on people's experience. And that experience both reflects what technically are they able to do with these trees, as well as what forms have they found most interesting over the years, yeah. whether yeah. from their own domestic native scenes or their domestic, let alone exotic or international bonsai forms. Um, yeah. Any of those things are going to inform the work, but until people are consistently 
making patterns of artistic decisions, it's it's almost too early to even know where things stand. Otherwise, what we've done reflects what we just did, as opposed to we're trying to express something concrete yes, through our work. 100%. And that's what's got to be both fascinating and frustrating, not being in a more mature bonsai environment where you're literally having to grow the trunks and then grow the branches and decide what species to use and then build them before you can start creating the models that might be influencing it's, people it's in your area. A hundred percent. But also the time frame between having those early trees and developing the trunks, you've got to learn the skills of what you want to be able yes. to do the work to that tree later on. And I think once that point comes where you can look at a mature tree and know that you can do the work to portray that tree how you want it to be, um, then it starts to get fun. <laughs> it does. And then you find someone else you realize has been doing this in their backyard inadvertently inventing a completely yeah. different technique out of ignorance. And it's like, oh, yes. we can do that. And yes. then that starts yeah. kind of percolating through yeah. the community. Yeah. And then you can add in your little bits and they can add in their little bits. And then yeah. all of a sudden you moved up another level. Yeah. We have a great example of that with our coast redwood trees, where we've had um, actually right in my area, Northern California, a lot of history growing redwood as bonsai. And a friend of mine for gosh, 20, 30 years has been developing his by pinching. And it's the most right. dense little redwood. He has this tiny little tree. Well, it took 20 years of him doing this before someone started taking that seriously and said, oh, what if we start doing this on a much bigger scale? All of a sudden, like you say, it stepped up to a whole different level. Yeah, and now yeah. we all know you can make these trees as dense as you want. If you pinch them, you just need yeah. to know kind of two little tricks to it and then you're yeah. fine. So yeah, now we know, oh, okay, <laughs> we just need to, well, you, you pinch the leaves while they're still uh, immature. Once they've hardened off, they don't bud. If you yeah. pinch this leaf, when it's still soft, it'll bud right where you pinch. Right, so in other words, you can make the inner node any length you want. Yeah, and yeah. that's still only just kind of starting to percolate through the community, even though we all theoretically should know it by now. Yeah. It's going to take a while for people to start building new styles of trees based on that. And that to me, I mean, it's hard to me not to be excited when I think of that. No, it's great. And I'm I'm kind of slow to take on information. <laughs> I don't, it, take, it takes me, uh, I'll do the, it, with my trees, I don't vary too much in species now because I've got, I've got my core um, trees for it's me to momentum. leave something else, <laughs> but uh -huh. something else would have to go. So um, I'll probably stick to about 10 different species because over the time, I've got to know them. Uh -huh. And so I know what will happen if I do that at, at this time. Because we have very wet winters and spring can be quite wet too. So mm -hmm. things that you read overseas might not work here. And so you've really got to look at things differently here and learn what that tree does because there is some techniques that work and some that don't here. So we have to adapt. And for me, doing, the, doing that year after year after year, it's just finally starting to sink in, whereas other people will get it in the first <laughs> two or three. It's just the way I am. So I think now, even with the substrate mixing, mixes and what we use here, um, for the climate here, it's finally coming right as to what we should be doing. So um, 
yeah, I think a time factor coming in of that time frame and seeing how the trees react, it's now coming to a point where, okay, we can you we can do this here and this this will happen and you'll get the maximum growth at at this time if you right. do this. And that's taken us quite a while. We had a we had a bit of a sort of knowledge gap um, in the sort of going back uh, twen- the twenty to thirty year gap ago, because mm-hmm. we didn't have that new influx of people coming through. So when the internet sort of came out and people started to see a bit more, um, we didn't pick up on that for a little while. So we mm-hmm. had a bit of a gap, and I think I think we're just playing catch up now. As yeah. Well, I remember, yeah, when I got started, um, books and magazines from Japan was the sole vehicle we had for otherwise getting on a plane, of course, but that was readily available. It was pictures in a magazine and that we couldn't read a single word of and uh, and some books also couldn't read a word. We 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 couldn't buy pots or stands. In fact, now it's still quite hard. But Mm -hmm. if if you're going back. Uh, when I first started getting a buying a bonsai pot to to suit a tree that you have was nearly impossible. There was mm-hmm. there was nobody doing pots. Now it's a lot easier, yeah. but you'd have trees and trees that were beautifully styled, but the pots don't match because right. you just physically can't get a pot. <laughs> you'd have people go overseas and carry them back in their hand luggage, and that was the only ones there. Things have moved on from that a bit now, but yeah, there was there was nothing for us. That's crazy. Even stands buying stands here. Um, I don't know where you can get stands <laughs> anywhere. I I think everyone has trouble with stands. Yeah, yeah. Stands oh, yeah. are tough. There's, I mean, yeah. in North America, there's a, it's not five well known stand makers. Right. I think, I can't think of one here. It's there's people. <laughs> For for stands that I've had made, I've had to go to furniture makers and uh-huh. give them dimensions, and this is what I want. And yeah. um, there's not that sort of stand maker that's got a flair that's coming up with things like what they're doing with pots here now. We've got a few people doing pots that are coming up with their own ideas and their own styles, but we don't have that for stands yet. Yeah, that's rich. always the last. And of course, yeah. that brings up the bigger question of whether or not there's a better way to display a tree than by putting a table on a table. Right. Now, now <laughs> we get to it. Now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm um, curious. You mentioned that you're kind of limiting yourself to roughly 10 species. Are there any two or three species that you would get a kick out of seeing people growing outside of New Zealand? You know, assuming the weather would work out for them. You know, what species would you think? Would it be fun to see online? Oh, look, they're growing one of these. Uh, we have a New Zealand a New Zealand tree called a Pahutakawa, which is known as the New Zealand Christmas tree. So oh, uh-huh. around Christmas time, um, hence the name. You get the red fuzzy the, things. It gives the red fuzzy things. Um, we have so those all over my town. Right. Is it a rock salon, isn't it? It's Metro Citro Citrox salon? Yeah, it's a... It's in the myrtle family. Uh-huh. Um, it's uh, there's similar trees, but our but our ones are better, <laughs> just because they're our, just because on the coast where they grow, if it's Christmas time, they produce this lovely red flower. So they're known. So I would love to see them overseas to see what 
happens with them there. Um, well, I should consider that. Yeah. Um, I think yours is the Metrosideros excelsa. And that's it. Yep. literally, we have a whole bunch of them in my town. Maybe right. not the same um, species, but uh, or the same uh, exact so you know, cultivars that you've got. But uh, yeah. we, we do have a whole bunch yeah. of them in town. That's one of the common ones I happen to know. Go so figure. Grow, our one's growing in the wild, uh, 500, 600 years old. Wow. And we've, we've got a lot of multi-trunk ones. They're a very multi-trunk tree, um, but they're very special here. There's a lot of there's a lot of spiritual aspect to them. So, oh, nice. uh, and you're not allowed to go out into the wild and dig these trees out. They're a very uh, special tree. Even if you buy a house and there's one on the section that you don't want, you can't go ahead and cut it down. It's a very special tree. So, oh, having them as a bonsai tree um in a in a refined state um they're quite they're i'm not saying rare but um they're semi-rare because you can't just go and collect them so they're very special to have in your collection now are they um, grown as nursery stock you could grow yeah you could grow them as they are in nurseries but when they get older they have the hanging roots and they right. form like big blankets of roots coming down. So nurseries will have them and they will be available, but the older the older ones, the ones that look like that they've been in the they world. They have we, great character. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so the couple that I have in my collection um, are handed down. So now the the older generation of bonsai artists, which have had those trees for 50, 60 years, they're coming to be passed on. So that's the availability of all the good wow. stuff, the good stuff. So we're, we're at that point now where um, the next generation are taking over the other generation's trees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it's a, not a particularly nice subject when they're handing trees on, but those are, that's where the good stop for us comes from. And so... Um, Same over yeah, here, the best trees yeah, in private collections. It's not a very nice subject when the, when the person's handing on trees because they know they can't take care of them. But uh -huh. from uh, picking up a good tree for your collection, that's really... That's well, really in, another way to look at it, it's a beautiful sign of success as we all know that we're signing on to things that if we succeed, they're going to outlive us and get... As we get as we get funkier and funkier with age, they're going to get yeah, more and yeah. more distinguished. And the sign yeah. of success is when someone else can then you know we can pass the torch and let them do what exactly. they will with it. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, that's where we're kind of on the verge of in New Zealand as as uh, those trees being handed on to the next generation. And uh -huh. there's there's quite a bit of that happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but the beauty is a lot of that stock hasn't been fine wired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you've got the beautiful trunks, um, but they haven't been doing the fine wiring because it's too hard for the, uh, the hands. Well, that sounds like work. a perfect starting point. Honestly, it's perfect. Yeah. I, I mean, we wish we had those coming out of our ears. That's what you yeah. want is the age and the character. And then we can decorate yeah. those trunks best we yeah. can with the yeah. foliage. Yeah. And those are the golden trees. Um, mm -hmm. And, Quite a lot's happened. Quite quite a lot of that work has happened to me over the last two or three years, um, nice. and now they're my favourite tree. So I'm not selling or passing on those people's trees, 
and um, they'll be the ones that I'll hand on. So it's just- well, So um, those will yeah. be the nice exemplars that will, um, as those come along, as you post those online, I'll be able to say, ah, that to me looks like a New Zealand tree. That right. would be exciting yeah. to say, I, I see some characteristics in this that are um, specific to this region, these growth patterns, whatever this- vibe yes. is that is happening that that to me would be exciting to see awesome. okay so what where where i'm um because we're very coastal and the trees are growing off the beach off the cliffs uh -huh. into the beach you always you kind of encroach on the whole penjing aspect of it of mm -hmm. displaying the whole scene um and that's something i'm working on at the moment where you're not just showing one massive pahuta kawa that's growing over a rock you're actually taking the scale way way bigger and showing a whole new zealand beach scene in a pinging style and that's uh that's another exciting aspect for us here well seriously yeah so what <laughs> other than the uh, metrosideros what's another fun species you'd like to uh see? we have a tree called the totra uh um, totra totra t-o-t-o-r-a um which uh, kind of looks like a U, Texas type of vibe. Uh, oh, interesting. You pulled that up? No, I'm looking at T O T. Sorry, T T O T A R A. A R A Totara. Oh, neat. So that's like a very um, regal boss of the forest type of tree. Very. Um, they're pretty common, and we can use them for bonsai quite a bit they make very good group planting trees yeah you kind of That's described it right the, the foliage looks like you but the form yeah. of some of the mature ones um some look like big oaks actually some of them yeah. grow taller some with really rounded forms and just great yeah. trunks and roots on them yeah and they have a very um a very cool bark that sort of peels later mm -hmm. on yeah yeah that's my that's one of my favorite ones and what what you can find is um on the on the farms where where you have a fence line the farmers would plant the totras next to the posts uh -huh. on the farm and the totras would grow around the post oh, windbreaks yeah and then they the posts would disintegrate and you can <laughs> find these spiral totras that still look like they should have a post running through the middle so people use them for fences and they'll sort of guide them a little bit or they'll put wire on them. So you'll have totra hedgerows and they've just got one thin wire running the complete way down the hedgerow, but all the totras are just stick to that line and they've been pruned back. So it's like a, like, like a square hedge, but they've got uh -huh. beautiful old trunks. So That's so cool. Yeah, that happened a lot in the 70s and 80s. So now... Um, when these hedgerows come out or the people don't want that hedge in their house, you get a call up to say, look, we've got all these oh. totras that need to be taken out and they've got big, beautiful bases, but everything's real tight, uh, yeah. running quite flat, but, this, but they're there. Um, so finding that sort, of, uh, that sort of system is good. Yeah, it'd be a great starting point. It also sounds like it might be a good candidate for someone where they're interested in ground growing the species. Because if they're planting yeah. up for windbreaks, they likely grow quickly. Yeah, uh, they're not not so high for the windbreak. They they sort of more of a feature hedge. Hedge, okay. Uh, uh, Closer to not, a U. 
Yeah, they're not like a. Um, they that quite possibly could be done, but there'd be other species here that would gotcha. grow faster. They're not a. They're not a fast-growing tree, so uh-huh. when you see them in a house and it's up to your waist-type height, um, but the trunks are as thick as your leg, but mm-hmm. they've all been kept quite tight. That's what that's that's the sort of environment where we can find some nice ones. So that sounds us, like it'd be super cool. Yeah, for us, uh, where you go out and collect your beautiful junipers, and they're all there. You can for us, that's more. Uh, more of an urban environment where you'll find those sort of trees. Um, is any collecting out in nature allowed in New Zealand or is that pretty much locked down? Uh, we do go on collecting trips. We probably go two or three times a year, but we have to ask the landowner. So um, there's an area that we go where the whole wilding pine thing is a is a thing. So they're happy for us to take pines out, but we collect a lot of hawthorn. We have, oh. we have a lot of hawthorn. So we've got that English hawthorn privet vibe happening here. So um, when we collect, um, the trees have normally been chewed by cows. So mm. they're quite short. The farmers don't want hawthorns in their land because the cows are getting their den scratched and all that, that type of thing. So we do contact farms and say, do you have nice. any hawthorns? Do you have any? Do you have any of these trees? And like, yeah, you just come and collect them. We, you, you're doing us a favor. Um, so we had one. We had one collection trip about four or five years ago, and the farmer was so grateful that we were coming out to take the hawthorn out. He gave us the off-road little carts to drive around. Nice. Just please take whatever you like. Um, so and are that, those all exotic? uh those all came over bit. with the yeah yeah we're european settlers yeah new zealand's very um our whole new zealand native birds and trees are very special so we're yeah. trying to eradicate all the pests and take the new zealand native bush back to how it was mm-hmm. so all those wilding pines um all the we have a big issue with ferrets and stoats that eat the the new zealand native uh, birds eggs so well, your birds are a national treasure because 100%. you've got this whole archipelago of no predators you have the most amazing we're birds. trying to get to that yeah so yeah. we have islands that are in the gulf which are like a bird sanctuary uh-huh. and there's no rats there's no possums and the birds flourish and that's, oh, that's so great to, yeah so new zealand as a whole is trying to eradicate all the pests mostly the ones that come from australia and just nailed it <laughs> like <laughs> trying to e- eradicate them so that we get back to the new zealand native bush and birds so yeah so the whole tree aspect of getting rid of all these pests is quite a is a big thing here well, that's a neat additional aspect to it. As you mentioned, on the one hand, there is the culture of trees and aspects of nature being sacred. And then there's the other of you have this opportunity where you're right on the verge of having this, you know, kind of unique situation that's only in so many places on earth, really, exactly. where you have these yeah. trees that kind of developed on their own, isolated yeah. for extremely long periods of time. And that's what's given you this great diversity in these fascinating and that has to be saved yeah and there's, there's areas in new zealand where you can walk and 
it feels like a dinosaur could just walk around the corner any second. It's just <laughs> it's just madness. So I think yeah. We haven't seen them yet, but there is talk that there is the old one out there. <laughs> Watch out for Bigfoot. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't yeah, we uh there's a few there's a few areas where you go and collect and you just drop you're just stunned by how beautiful this spot is. Yeah. And there's no one else around. Yeah, that's, that's well. We can all thank Peter Jackson for teaching that to the world of how many yeah, of those yeah, places you have. Yeah, we're kind of overlord of the rings. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd imagine that happened pretty darn quickly, honestly. No, but but no, I will say it right. It, it rose in everyone's estimation as a result of that outside of New Zealand, yeah. and so that's pretty great. Yeah, we had uh, we had Will badly come over from mm -hmm. England and. Uh, lovely lovely guy and i took him to hobbiton and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> he'll probably hate me for bringing this up but <laughs> we, he he stood under the party tree it's where the hobbits have the party before before mm -hmm. puts on a ring so there's a big tree there and there's like all the sort of flags and the tables so it looks like the hobbiton and uh he said to me i'm just gonna take a minute here i was like okay that's fine you do what you want and he walked up to the tree and he took a little leaf. He was like holding onto a branch. And um, I went up to him and said, are you all right? And he was, and he was choked up. It was beautiful. And uh, you might have to edit this out because he will hate me for saying this, but it was, that was a, that was a touching moment. <laughs> that you, you extra humanized him. So yeah. Yeah. Good job, so Will. That, yeah. I appreciate that. So, um, so what I'm trying to get to is that, beauty that you saw in the lord of the rings movies and the landscape that's that's real yeah. that's that's here and um yeah and i think um that uh because hobbiton's made to look like a beautiful english sort of countryside right. now and um and and they do portray that um so i think that just i think that hit home with him a little bit the one thing that stood out looking at the natural landscape is where we might have a ridge that looks as beautiful or a valley. You could just see from some of the aerial photography, you would have ridge after ridge after ridge of that undisturbed beauty or valley after valley after valley of that amazing bucolic scenery. Yeah, that's beautiful. One of the, one of the best things you can do here is take a helicopter ride through uh -huh. the through the Milford Sound, mm -hmm. uh, you might have to Google the Milford Sound, but that's one of the that's one of the top spots. That you sounds know. awesome. Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best things you can do. Yeah, but it's one of those things you can't do anywhere else, and so that makes no. Of and sense. you can't get to these spots any other way. So, yep. uh, but just flying through there, yeah. So one of the very first things you mentioned was that. There aren't a lot of, you know, growers or nurseries for bonsai material in New Zealand, but there are some options for starting with young stock, whether it's people supplying that or it's getting that in nurseries. And one interesting thing that comes from that is a friend from Japan actually looked at that as I was lamenting my garden so many years ago when it was just table after table of young seedlings that I'd been growing. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, that made sense then because there were no other options. Like if you wanted that species, you had to make it yourself. They weren't growing in the landscape. You kind of had to start. So that made sense for the business at that time or for your hobby at that time. 
yeah. as things start progressing and you've done that for a generation or two, that's when, oh, we can now start to reap the benefits from having trees that are further along or a slightly yeah. more mature community. And so you're yes. in those kinds of, it feels like you're one, if you've got two feet, one step is in that yep. first beginner step, but it feels like the other leg is stepping into the next in that you're kind of right at that spot right now in New Zealand, which is a yes. kind of exciting place to be. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, I, I always think of it as like a band that's toured <laughs> and they've toured nice. all the real small clubs and the and the, and the the real downbeat bars and they're finally getting a name for themselves. Um, yes. But they've used all that time to get good at what they're doing. And now the now we've got our, they've got their own sound. So yeah, I think you're right. I think we're I, I think we're on that exciting cusp. Um and the beauty of it is that there's a handful of us that are riding that have been on that wave and we're riding it now and we've and we've and we've sort of picked that whole level up. And right those stock trees are coming in now so if new people start now they do have access to really good stock so that's one of the best moves that i think we've had because a lot of people might get bored in the first year or two mm -hmm. because there's no momentum there whereas now we have that and they can keep nice. moving and i think that's helped us to keep the whole scene rolling and i think that's why we're at a point now where we've got a good foundation because we've got the stock we've got the people that know what they're doing to keep it to keep the whole thing rolling so apart from having a few international people coming to visit and teach across the country what other bridges do you see between new zealand and the greater bonsai community have people looked into studying abroad or at least just traveling to events um have you seen a little bit of that for sure um yeah, so people um, people will go overseas. Um, there is people studying overseas at the moment, and a few people will do the three or four months in Japan and come back. Um, but you'll notice on the sort of international scene, you had a few people come to the expo. Um, Scott, if you're listening, we love you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, we love Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, we are getting out there more. Um there was a few of us went to the WBFF convention in Saitama a few years ago. Um, oh, neat. Were you there? Yeah. Yes, I was there. Yeah. Oh, I was there too. Missed you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a changing time for me. That was an unbelievable, unprecedented event. Yeah, I that still was a look special back thing. On that. Yeah, I look back on that now. And was that a dream? Uh, it was just a beautiful experience. Um, so we are getting out there. Um, but also, um, I've been invited to a, to a, a club demonstration in Australia next year. So things are slowly starting to happen. Um, and what I mentioned earlier about going to the bonsai shows for the Mid-Atlantic a few months ago, um, just touching base with the people out there and becoming friends with them, things happen from that. So the world kind of gets smaller. And so... Um, just the communication, I think, with other clubs and other demonstrators moves things forward and we find ourselves going to different things. Um, and that's happening for quite a few of us. Um, so I think you'll start to see more 
Kiwis tapping you on the shoulder in Canada or do or different different events will be there. So I think from an international point of view, we'll sort of filter out into the system a little bit more. Uh-huh. And you'll kind of know us because we sound different from the Australians, but we're a bit we're we've got a bit more we've got a bit more going for us. So you'll kind of know us, I think. Yeah, I I I, yeah. I would not disagree <laughs> would with any of that. Sure. That sounds dead on. That's a fair statement. Okay. So when you are looking at bonsai, say outside of New Zealand, in the U.S., in Japan. Have you seen anything in the work abroad that triggers something in how you've seen your trees or the New Zealand scene? Do you ever think, oh, that looks like they're at this stage and we're aiming towards that? Or, oh, they're just starting with this species. We're a little further along with that. Uh, has anything yeah. clicked at all when you see such I different think, species and techniques? Um, I think our whole deadwood carving side has picked uh, up a lot. We've uh, really got into the carving side of things in the last few years so mm-hmm. the beautiful junipers that you see see overseas with beautiful um dead wood and carving i think we're we're now getting into that a lot more um so the styling aspect of a tree will will always add something to it will always add a bit of interest to the trunk or we're not just going in and cutting off branches because they shouldn't be there we're going to carve that branch now that's that's starting to happen a a whole lot more so we're starting to see trees here that have the character of trees overseas Mm -hmm. so we're not just trimming everything right back to where it should be we're adding a lot more character in so when we see big beautiful junipers with big wave forming deadwood features we're trying to bring that in here Um, yeah so that side of us happened and we had will badly come over here um uh maybe five six years ago and we've had more people come to a carving workshops than what we've had to anything else and we're still getting off on that buzz since he's left so that really pushed us a little bit as well because we're um we're a very with the whole carving and the wood being carved that's sort of in our culture a little bit here too Mm. Um, so that was an easy step for us um so that side of it's really been pushed the last few years and that's purely from seeing what's happening what's happening overseas i think Mm. also as well uh, with the more flamboyant showing of trees and the different styles of pots that's been used overseas, um, we're getting a lot of that here now. There's a lot of people pushing the display aspect. Um, they see something done o- overseas, particularly Ryan Ryan Neal's work with all his mm-hmm. ceramics. That's having a massive influence here. People nice. are trying. Yeah, that's that's having a big influence, and you'll have. You'll have new people come into workshops and they'll say, and they've got, they've bought a pot or they've bought some sort of machinery or some sort of metal container that they want to use. And they go, oh, I saw this on a right now. I was like, okay, yes. <laughs> so that aspect has really come through. So the mm-hmm. whole the whole container aesthetic and what you can use as a as a container to portray your tree has moved up a lot here. And I think it's really helped for communities that don't have a deep or rich ceramics for bonsai, because if you just don't have the options, it's really time to start looking in different directions, both in terms of the media used 
but also the styles that and forms that it happened to take. Yep, and that's that's uh, that's become quite a thing here, hmm. uh, which is good. So um, you'll see some crazy things, and you but I think it's also, and what I kind of what I want to get across to the people that come to my workshops is that sometimes that tree gets lost completely in whatever container you're showing it in. It might be a lot better when the tree's grown into it a, uh, a bit more, but um, you'll see some crazy ideas for containers, but they just want to use whatever tree they have in the container. And it, sometimes it doesn't quite work. It's not quite there yet, but we're learning it. And I think if people are practicing it, that side of things will will move up as well. Does that That's make so sense? Cool. It does, because as soon as you get into the, well, I guess a lot of things follow from using different containers, because as soon as it's a different material, it's obviously going to start taking different forms. And yeah. when you're not starting from a point of tradition, but from the point of, I need a thing for my tree to grow in, you're yeah. going to bring just such a blank slate of perspectives yeah. to that. Yeah. And so you can end up in some really fun places, yeah, which sure. honestly will translate into whatever gets ending up being used as stands and or other display yeah. Um, yeah. you know, features or items, because yeah. you're going to be building this entire context in which the trees are going to be shared with uh, viewers, yes. which is exactly. kind of fun. And I think also if that person's new to starting trees if they're thinking about the container and the different styles of container at that same point as when they're learning they'll learn them both at the same time as they work mm -hmm. their way through whereas i didn't i didn't have that it was a bonsai pot it's a bonsai pot it doesn't matter yeah. it's still a bonsai pot but you're working on that tree for 10 years without giving any thought to the pot that is in until you start to see other pots and other styles. People now are seeing all these wild different containers and the trigger in your brain is already thinking, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And I didn't I didn't have that. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I was just talking about this with Michael Hagedorn. It takes years and years to kind of internalize the Japanese aesthetic of what kind of containers or what yeah. characteristics of what kind of containers may or may not be a match for a given tree. And yeah. that's all just one tiny sliver of the yeah. available uh, experience that we all could have with different yes. containers. Yes. Um, and that takes a ton of work just to yes. get that one little yeah. bit right. But yeah. these days, there's no reason anyone even has to engage those kinds of containers no. or that artistic approach. They could just start... No on a whole different plane yep. and end up who knows where. And yeah. it's really up to the individuals that form the communities, what they want yeah. in their gardens and what'll be carried on generation to generation as time goes by. Yeah. And it's so exciting knowing that you've got your trees established, but where they're heading in their containers for the mm. next 20 or 30 years that I've got, that's what's keeping me going with my collection of trees because I, I've reached the peak of what I can handle mm -hmm. and I do start them and they do change, but where are those trees and what containers they're going to end up in in, 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 in the next five to 10 years, that's very, very special to me. So mm -hmm. I love that aspect of it. And I think there's so much room to move in it, but you do have to do the homework first. You do have to learn first. <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunately a very helpful uh, reminder in that 
you can get more out of it if you do your homework, like you say, yeah. if you do at least internalize why people do things the way they do, it can beneficially inform where things go from there. Yeah. And so yeah. it's fun to have crazy outsiders. It's fun to have yeah. the really informed people or what we so often end up with are people who may have been kind of inculcated along a certain line of you know, or a certain approach, maybe traditional pots, for instance. And yet, if they only have available this other kind of material, or they take an interest in that, then that means as they investigate that new avenue, they'll be doing it with some kind of already formed ideas about the size, the shape, the direction, the colors, the textures, any of those kind of things. Yeah, that's awesome. I think back, I, I, uh, showed an old Scots pine tree in a show uh, about seven or eight years ago. And in the soil, I put little tiny lights <laughs> and I've never seen, and, and, I, and so when it was shown, there's four lights that are equal to the soil and they just shine up into the tree. Oh, so wow. when people walk past, the tree sort of glowed. And I'm an electrician, so this if I'm matching lights <laughs> to trees, this is what this is like home for me. Um I've always thought, why haven't people added lighting more more into there? So that I'm I'm very, we do it in the landscape. Why not the yeah, bonsai? Yeah. And the lights were tiny. And so one of the best things we did was when everybody had left home, uh left to go home, we turned off all the lights in the in the hall and just left the lights on on this tree and it was it was beautiful just the tree glowing in the middle of in the middle of darkness yeah well it's funny because you know what are our kind of analogs for that but you know ryan neal's first big show the artisan's cup the room was just plain dark yes. and we had yeah. spots on the trees and it had yeah it was very challenging to see the trees but it was the most dramatic setting you yes. could create and then yeah. there's the fun side of that. That was the more museum dark take. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. just locally, we have a bonsai collection, a public garden in Oakland, California, and yeah. they do a festival of lights. And so it's oh. this garden's one of many gardens that are all together in this complex. And they open up after dark. It's actually coming up pretty soon, I think. And oh. they they light up every single tree, whether it's with it's Christmas beautiful. lights or spots or different things. So it's the more levity filled or fun take yeah. on that same kind of approach but yeah. you get to see the structure that way and i think that's yeah. what people yeah. really appreciate about it yeah i've got um all of my trees are on stands which are black uh -huh. and my lights are on spouts so my lights are about head high but they're on a little hook oh that's so cool light shines directly into the tree so when it's dark and you turn it on every tree just floats around the garden Super so, drama. I like that. Super drama. That's how, <laughs> yeah. It's only good. Yeah. So you can sit. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit of work, but it works. So if the light's equal to the tree and it just picks off the trunk and it's not super bright, but they just glow. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm heading down the lighting, pinging New Zealand scene vibe. <laughs> Well, you're giving us something to look forward to um, <laughs> see what this morphs into over the next five, 10 years yeah. when you do have more time for bonsai to see. We'll keep you informed. <laughs> well, that's one of the best things actually about keeping it on the side and not making this the main focus today is when it's a more precious amount of time that's going into bonsai, when bonsai is the alternative to whatever the daily work is, as enjoyable yeah. or not as it may, may be, 
what happens is you start to do the things that are the most exciting, that are the most yes. precious to you. And that can really inform what you do when you do have more time for bonsai. Yes. So yep. knowing that that's five, 10 years out actually gives you that limited amount of time. It sounds like yes. a lot, but it actually is a limit. And then you'll be able to invest in whatever of those directions. Yes. Maybe at that point, you'll have found a home for a collection, a public yes. collection. Maybe you'll have some really concrete um, ideas about displays. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's the area I'm kind of, I can feel. I think sometimes Bonsai just takes you down these little avenues <laughs> that you never quite like... Uh, you never quite thought you would go, but there's one aspect of bonsai that you all of a sudden like more than anything else, and I'll just see where that goes. Last uh, last two years, I've been making slabs and oh, fun. rock formations and learning the techniques for that, and that's taken me down another little another little avenue. So that also would encroach on the display aspects. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, definitely the display and the presentation of what I've got at home has become key for me now. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, what's nice is what you're saying about the containers, the stands, the display, the, the lighting and the community, it's all kind of forming itself all at once. And so it sounds like a unique opportunity to come up with some somewhat novel approaches. And so that's uh it's just kind of heartening to hear. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more frustrating. You know, sometimes I just want to be able to buy a tree or sometimes I just want to get a tool yeah. or a pot, but yeah. Um, yeah. it's easy for me to sit on the outside and say, oh, yeah. that sounds very great that you're doing all that work, but, <laughs> but it's, it's not work. lost on me how much work that actually is. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But that's what drives us as well. Yeah. So if that passion doesn't wane and you're having to fight a little bit harder to get what you want, mm -hmm. When you get it it means a whole lot more for sure and that's i think where we're at in new zealand yeah do you have what um would a visitor to bonsai gardens in new zealand find many exotic species um, pines junipers maples whatever it might happen to be yes you would you would see a lot of pines you would see a lot of maples we have a lot of the maples that everybody else has um they do graft a lot of them uh -huh. um yeah, we would have most, well, we've probably got a few junipers that you would recognize, maybe a few that aren't quite the same. Um, I just got two junipers into my collection that we're still not sure what uh, <laughs> what they are. They're, they've got a completely different color to anything else. So there's still the odd, the odd surprise, but we are pine heavy. Um, uh, we have a lot of ficus. There's a lot of oh, ficus okay. growing here. Yeah, I don't think I we don't seem to have as many exotics as what Australia does, where they seem to be on the forefront of what they've got going there. Um, yeah, I can't think of too many other exotics that you would see that vary from what you've already have there. Yeah, it seems like in Australia, a number of exotic trees or seeds came in a long time ago. And so there is a little yeah. bit of tradition of people that have been growing pines for 20, 30, 40 years in some cases. Yeah. I went to yeah. a couple of nurseries down there and was yeah, surprised that I knew as many species as I did. Yeah. Yeah. Walking around the landscape and going to the parks, you see, you know, everything yeah. but that. And then yeah. but the bonsai community, at, at least at the time, I think it's very different now where you it really was a mix of um, natives and exotics. 
Yeah, we yeah, we do have we do have that, but Australia just seems to have a lot more going on with with their trees and with what they can use. Uh-huh. Um, but they've got all the nasty spiders and the snakes and everything. We don't have any of that. So I think it's from everything of, poisonous to nothing yeah, poisonous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a lot more safer here. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe maybe that shows in our trees a little bit that we're a little bit more safer, but um we kind of have what we have and we use it the best that we can. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And that's actually a really nice note. Speaking of, we know you're online. Where will people find uh, samples of these neat uh, New Zealand species of yours? Um, so my uh, my bonsai club is called Kenzo Bonsai, K-E-N-Z-O. Um, you can find me on Facebook under that. And that's where I'll post uh, all my sort of club days and what's going on with the club. Um, uh, my personal Facebook and Instagram page is actually all trees as well. It's not really a personal page. So I, I, I tend to keep the club stuff on the Kenzo page and then my own personal page is just what I'm up to with, with trees really. So yeah, I'm nice. not that hard to find. <laughs> well, cool. And a uh, final pitch you have to make to get people, were someone coming for a bonsai tour to New Zealand? What might that tour include? Ooh, is it just a bonsai tour or are they coming to see the country? Well, we'll we're going to take that part for granted, but that right, there are, okay. it's probably um, easy to find good touristy things to do in New Zealand. However, it's not too touristy hard, no. bonsai things. I that would, one. Right, bonsai. <laughs> I, would, um, I would hire a car and I would drive from the top of the North Island down to the bottom of the South Island. I want to shout out, we've probably got the most Southern bonsai club in the world here. There's a, uh, a place in New Zealand called Invercargill, which is right at the bottom of the South Island. Oh, wow. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy down there called Mark, who is a forest expert. Mm-hmm. And I would take a trip down and see him. He is, I think he's claimed the most southern bonsai club in the world. The next stop <laughs> is Antarctica, so there's not much going on um, down there. So, yeah, I would, when you come to New Zealand, you've got to get out on the road. Mm-hmm. And I would travel and I would give you stops all the way down of beautiful bonsai people that would happily show you around their collections. And you would get a vibe of trees that grow in the South Island that don't necessarily grow in the North Island mm-hmm. and a different vibe all the way down. Um, that's what I'd be doing. And you get to meet some really cool people. That sounds and, and drink some good coffee. And coffee, probably a bit stronger than coffee, but there's so <laughs> but yes, there will be some good coffee. <laughs> oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, Martin, thanks so much for chatting today. This has been fantastic. Thank you, Jonas. It's been it's been really nice to meet you and it's been a great chat. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at blue dot sessions check them out at www.sessions.blue